Hi everyone, welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. Today we have Scott Martineau, who is the co-founder of Infusionsoft, which is a marketing automation software for small businesses. Scott, how are you doing today? Fantastic. Really excited to be here. Great to have you on the show. So yeah, you know, I'd like to hear a little more about uh, you know your background, and then uh, you know we'll go from there. Great. Well, uh, so I'm one of three co-founders of a company called Infusionsoft, and uh, we've been around about 13 years now, and we're the leading providers of all-in-one sales and marketing software for the small business owner. And uh, early on in our company, we decided we wanted to be a company that was totally committed to small businesses for the long run. And so this has always been a very important part of who we are. Uh, we've we've gone through several rounds of financing, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that today. And every time, it's been really important for us that we find partners that are that are uh, in line with our vision around serving small businesses. Um, and so we, uh, you know, we started 13 years ago. Today, we've got uh, over 20,000, I think 25,000 or so small businesses use our software platform and uh, over 60,000 users. We've got about 500 employees today and we're uh, just about doing $100 million in revenue. Not quite there, but on the brink of that and having a good time trying to change the world, you know? Nice, man. Congratulations. Um, so Infusionsoft, I mean, how exactly does it help like, you know, people that are running startups, you know, these small businesses? Well, most small business owners, uh, if they're, you know, if they're trying to be aggressive about growing their company, they go out and they they'll pick up different software programs to manage different parts of their business. You know, an email marketing provider, and there's lots of those that they can choose from, and a contact manager or CRM system. And if they're doing transactions online, they'll have a an e-commerce product. And we've just realized that the more the more these different applications become available to small business owners, the more chaos that tends to bring into their life. And so. We've taken on the slightly insane challenge of trying to put everything in one place for the business owner. And, uh, you know, that, that really, at the end of the day, the exciting thing, one of the reasons we focus on the small business space is that what we're doing is actually saving hours and time and allowing a business owner and their employees to have their lives back instead of being totally consumed by their business, which is usually what people wake up and realize that they have after they start their company. Got it. So, you know, Personal note on my side, you know, we have we have Infusionsoft for our company, but then we also we we have kind of have like the you know Frankenstein you know like other apps like pieced together, right? Um, you know, just because I never had the time to really learn Infusionsoft, and we've had like consultants come in. So, you know, how does someone with no experience get Infusionsoft set up to be a well-oiled machine? Yeah, good question. And I think part of part of it's important to recognize who our target is. We're really looking for people that are serious about growing a business. We're not we're not really suited for someone who has and I'm not saying this is who you are by any means at all, but mm-hmm. there, some people come and they have an idea. They don't really have a product created. They don't have a customer base. They're not really open to the idea of hiring employees and building a business. And if you just have really isn't suited for those people, we're after, we're after the business owners that are ready to grow and ready to, to you know, increase in that way. So, but I think the most important thing is, is that um, when you get to that level of commitment, Infusionsoft actually is a great, what we find is as we engage with business owners, a lot of times they're thinking through their systems and their processes for the first time. Uh, our software can do a fantastic job at automating different processes in a business, but those processes sometimes need to be thought through and, and created you know, initially. 
So that's one thing. Um, and yeah, you know, sometimes for some business owners, it's the right thing for them to bring on an expert that can handle some of the more technical aspects of their business. Doesn't necessarily have to be a full time employee. You know, hiring consultants is also a great way for some people. So it kind of depends on you know what your technical aptitude is. Um, you know, we're we've come a long way in the ease of use of our software. We started. I'll, I'll tell you more today about kind of the early beginnings of our company. Um, but we recognize one of our you know one of the most important things for us has been investing in making the software easier to use. I think all of us just want easier to use software. We want our lives to be less complicated. So. You know, some of that burden rests on us. Got it. Okay. So, if let's say someone in the audience is interested in trying out Infusionsoft, where would they go to find these experts, uh, these consultants? So, if you go to Infusionsoft.com, uh, you can click on the link for our marketplace. We've got an entire network of certified consultants that are trained on Infusionsoft, certified on Infusionsoft, and have built up businesses to help. Some of those people are they'll specialize in a particular niche. Some of them are more generalists. And uh, you can find, you know, in addition to those providers, there are also different marketing campaign templates and different software add-ons. So the marketplace is the best way to go at Infusionsoft.com. Got it. Okay. And how does Infusionsoft, Infusionsoft compare to, you know, uh, the Marketos of the world and also the HubSpots of the world? You know, I know you guys are focused on small businesses, but what else kind of separates you guys? Yeah, well, that, that distinction is actually pretty significant. Uh, those, those software applications are really powerful. Um, but you know, when you get into serving small businesses, you recognize that there are just things that can't be taken for granted. You know, the the average mid-sized company they clearly have an IT staff. They've got usually creative resources. Small business owners, in many cases, they don't have that. They don't have an they don't they don't have an IT staff. Maybe even one person. And even creating something as simple as a landing page or button is not something that they want to really spend energy doing. So we really have focused on making sure that we have the right templates and get get things as much as we can to where the business owner can just come in and push the go button, make a couple of tweaks, push the go button, and off to the races. Um, and I would say that the um, another, another big difference, when you get into bigger companies, they tend to think about CRM and marketing automation primarily before leading up to the sale. Then at Infusionsoft, we've created a concept. We call it lifecycle marketing. Um, we're not the only ones that teach it and talk about it, but really Infusionsoft is designed to help the entire lifecycle from the all, all the things you do to generate leads, to warm and convert those leads into customers, how you wow that customer, and then what you do to make sure that they become a repeat customer, that you're getting referrals. And all of this, we built into a very integrated platform. Um, we have one of the what I think is one of the best drag and drop campaign builders where you can start with a template but you can visually see exactly what process we're going to help automate in your business and uh, so yeah I'd say the all-in-one nature of it the fact that we really focus on the small business um, and we, we cover end-to-end -end, those are some pretty big selling points for the small businesses nice awesome so you know your your first 1000 customers I mean how did you guys go about acquiring them yeah, well, uh, before so the first few days, the first few years of our company were pretty dark and dreary. Uh, I remember having a couple. I think there were two different stints. We we didn't go out and get financing at first, and I remember having two different stints where we went for four or five months with zero income, and it, it was brutal. Uh, you know, and I think 
in those early days, what really kept us going was just, it was kind of a raw entrepreneurial zeal that we just wanted to do our own thing, you know. And so we, you know, the very early days we did custom software development, which was a horrible business to be in. Um, you know, you got to sell every single customer and, the, you know, we were so desperate that we would cut our price way down, we'd do twice the amount of work and get paid less, I mean, it was just bad. So um, one of our custom clients that approached us, in fact, we were all sitting around one day, we tell this story all the time, this is a Friday afternoon, we were kind of winding down the day and the phone rang and Clay, who's now our CEO at the time, he was kind of our he he basically did everything but bill hours in our custom development, right? Anyway, he he's also the sales team, so he picks up the phone, and this guy on the other end of the line, he blurts out, "I have pain. Can you help me?" And uh, Clay's like, "Man, I don't know. Is this one of our customers that we had screwed up with? You know, <laughs> he didn't know who it was. Anyway, so it turned out this guy was a marketing coach in the mortgage industry. So he taught loan officers and mortgage companies. This is in the height of the mortgage boom." how to generate leads, how to follow up with those leads, how to market better. And he was a total mess. So he came in and we started building stuff for him. And as it turns out, he he had been trying to find a bunch of software solutions that would work to implement some of these more sophisticated marketing techniques. And he just couldn't find anything. He had you know, stubbed his toe about it. So we started building things for him. Uh, he started bringing in some of his other marketing coaches uh, that were in different industries. He brought in Joe Polish who at the time was in the carpet cleaning industry um, and a few other people and pretty soon all of these industry specific marketing experts were using our software and totally on fire and then they, they sort of collectively said hey why don't you start selling this stuff to our customers so we would go to their marketing seminars where they'd have all these people getting up on stage talking about different marketing techniques and then we get up on stage and we would sell our software as the solution for helping to automate all those things that they were learning and actually make it possible to do them. And so that was really, you know, the, that was kind of the launch pad for our company was being in, a, being in a place where you had business owners who were trying to learn better marketing techniques and we became the implementation solution for them. And uh, it was really a fun, you know, fun time in the business. And, uh, it's a beautiful thing. Cool, nice. So it sounds like uh, so there's two stints. You said you went where you went without income, right? Right. Wow. Okay. How did you? I mean, were you were you married at the time? I mean, how did you deal with that whole scenario? Yeah, Clay. So Clay was married, and I was married. Eric was still single, um, and I mean, maybe he had just barely gotten married. But Clay had a couple of children. I had one, and it was just rough, man. It was. I mean, I remember. I remember one time coming home and my wife and I were talking talking through the finances and she's like, Scott, you've got to stop going to 7-Eleven to buy the drinks because it is killing our budget. And I'm like, by the way, this is like when the you know the triple big gulp was like 49 cents or something. <laughs> and uh, so it was just so tight. And, you know, Cherise and Andy and Beth really were super supportive of us, even though they probably didn't have a good reason to at the time. You know, and they would they would accept the fact that they'd come home. We'd come home and they'd say, "Hey, when are we going to actually start seeing revenue?" And we're just like, "Hey, we're going to get there. We're right there. We're right there." And it's you know, it's that's a difficult thing. It's definitely a partnership that we've you know, we have our three partners that started the company, but our wives we recognize have been there all the way and are totally instrumental. Wow, incredible. Um, so you know. 
InfusionCon, I mean, that's, you know, that's the InfusionSoft conference. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, Icon, uh, we've, we've changed the name of InfusionCon to Icon because it really has become the small business mecca. And it's, it is the most energizing small business event in the country. And in fact, we'll be expanding internationally as well soon. Um, but that's the time when people come together, Infusionsoft customers and other small business owners gather. And uh, we had, I think, 2,500 approaching 3,000 people at the Phoenix. We basically took over downtown Phoenix this year. Uh, we feel like we're just getting started. But it's, it's a place where business owners who often feel like they are you know, misunderstood, they're kind of out there alone, but they come together and there's a combination of a ton of training, you know, just amazing networking and uh, connections that really last for years. You know, we see people that will connect at Icon and, and help each other's businesses for years to come. And so it's just really amazing. And I think that that energy, you know, one of my philosophies about business is that um, if we can get our head on straight and, and win the mental game, we're halfway there at least, if not more. And Icon is one of those things that allows people to just get their head on, head back on straight. We can look around, we can see other people having success, have a renewed hope, renewed energy, and go back to the you know go back to the fires with a totally new mindset about the way that you know a new level of confidence is really what it's all about. So it's yeah, it's a fantastic conference where the energy level is just palpable. It's it's not like any other conference you've ever been to. Got it. And I imagine there has to be some pretty, you know, crazy things you have to deal with in terms of, uh, you know, growing a conference. So what are some struggles you had to deal with? Well, um, you know, one of the things we're dealing with now is just logistically, and, and thankfully the, the Phoenix Convention Center, I think, will be a place where we can be for many years to come. But we just started running out of space. Like, there weren't very many conference centers that could handle it, and you know, there were logistical problems with filling up this hotel too quickly, the room blocks are gone, and now people have to travel for five minutes or ten minutes to get to the conference, which is lame. So um, I think that's been an issue. I think, um, you know, we've, we really want to make Icon something that is attractive to not just Infusionsoft customers because the content and the experience is so powerful. So that's something that we're evolving. Um, but really, I would say Icon is a... Uh, it's kind of a sweet spot for us. I think we do a great job of putting an event. It's come naturally, and uh, for the most part, it's it's the it's kind of the pinnacle of the year for all the employees. You know, we try to get all the employees out where they can just rub shoulders with our customers and other business owners, and uh, it's just a it's a great time. I don't know that there are too many problems with it. Cool, awesome. And so, how much you know, for the audience? How much does it cost to for for you know a normal person to to go to Icon? Um, it was really expensive, less than a thousand dollars. I don't even know what the you know early bird prices. You could probably get an icon for five hundred bucks. It's really, it's really a nominal fee. Nice. Okay. Cool. So my understanding now is, aside from the Infusionsoft stuff, there's more, there's uh, a lot of different content as well, right? You know, what are some examples? Yeah. So we have a full. I talked about lifecycle marketing before. We have a full lifecycle marketing track where we take apart every aspect of the customer lifecycle and help you put together strategies. You know, so like this year, I talked about um, wowing customers, and and I shared several different systems that people could put in place to make sure that when you get a new customer, you have you have absolute confidence that you're going to be building a system 
in your business that will wow every single one of those initially. You know, you've got that little window of time where you can really make an impact on your new customer. And then what can you do to make sure that you have an ongoing system of wowing your customers? And then systematically checking in to make sure you're doing well with your customers via some sort of survey and leveraging the results of that. You know, when you have somebody who's saying, I would gladly refer you, that's an opportune time to reach out and to get a referral. So anyway, we, we, we take the entire customer life cycle and just give some amazing content around all of those things. Um, for developers, we have a whole, you know, our, our add-on community has a whole track as well that they can go to to understand, you know, latest and greatest with APIs that are being developed. They can see examples of what other people are doing. They can sit around and code together. And so that's really amazing. Then we have, obviously, software training tracks for, for Infusionsoft customers where they can learn different aspects. We'll have, you know, basic campaign builder. We'll show people how to, you know, pick a template, tweak it through the campaign builder. So, um, you know, those are kind of the breakout session tracks. And then we always have fantastic uh, keynote speakers. We had Seth Godin and Simon Sinek come this year um, and some other great, great speakers as well. So it's just, you know, all around, we, we pack it full. Nice. And people go home tired, but they go home renewed. Got it. Renewed is good. Um, so, you know, obviously you, you've dealt, we've talked about some struggles that you've had to deal with, especially the four to five months with no income. Um, so, you know, what's, I guess, what's one other, you know, big struggle you had to face while growing Infusionsoft? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, the, the, the struggles that we face really are different at every single phase. We're like every other company. Um, in fact, Clayton and I, we teach a, a, a course called the Elite Forum, which is a, it, it's for people that are, that are sitting at around a million dollars and trying to go to $10 million. And part of that course, we developed a seven stages of small business success where we articulate the specific challenges that people have at each phase. And our business has been, you know, no different in the early days. It was obviously a huge mental game, you know, just staying, staying stubborn enough to not quit was like the number one thing, right? Capital and financing was an important part. It, it, we actually weren't going to um, take on any capital. I'm happy to share with you the story later if you want about what, what had us decide that. Um, and then, you know, when it, when it started to be time to scale, there are, there are some interesting challenges that come with that, you know. Uh, how do we go hire the right people? How many people should we hire? When should we hire? And how do we bring these people in in a way that allows our, our operation to be fluid and, and you know, results accountable? And so, um, you know, I think, I think that the, the most important thing for a business owner is to have the tenacity to be constantly iterating, regardless of the phase of the business that you're in, to be constantly iterating around what's the, what's the biggest thing that we need to be attacking right now? Where, where do we have gaps that we need to fill in? And so, you know, we created a process very early on. Clay actually learned this at one of the boards that he was on. It was kind of an oral tradition that was passed on um, by the guy that he was on the board of, I think was the son of a former Kellogg CEO, I think is what it was, Kellogg's CEO. And so we have a, we have a very rhythmic quarterly planning process that we installed pretty early into our company where every quarter we go off-site, we get away from all the current cares and concerns, we have a series of seven exercises that we go through that allow us to get the raw material in our business up and just in, in context floating around. And it's in that setting that we go create our quarterly priorities. We actually do it. We do an annual version of it, and then we also have quarterly versions of that. And so we come out with this renewed 
quarterly focus and vision. And that really has helped us because, as I said, all these different phases, we have different issues that we're challenging, we're challenged with. And that strategic planning process has been the, the constant that helps us to identify those things and then put in place the action plans. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to it's hard to summarize the 13 years of lessons into that quickly, but I think that's a that's a pretty good overview. I think maybe one other comment I'll make is that um, I read in a book once. Peter Drucker wrote he wrote this really cool analogy because as the company grew, I found it frustrating to go from a really tight, efficient operation where we were we were an execution machine, and you start to grow, and as a leader you need to be able to relinquish control to the right people in the right way so that they can grow. But we didn't, I don't know, we didn't have, it, it was just frustrating for me because I, I kind of sought that initial efficiency that we had. Well, Peter Drucker had a great analogy that helped me just calm down a little bit. And he said, look, there's a difference between an amoeba, he compared business to an amoeba versus a human being. And he said, the amoeba, I don't know if you've ever heard this analogy, but the amoeba, all of the energy that it intakes goes to two things, reproduction and forward progress. Now, if you compare that with a human, the human body is so much more complex. And about 65, I think it was about 65% of all of our intake of energy goes to just sustaining life, keeping the, the thing alive. And then it leaves 35% to go do, you know, go make forward progress. And I think, you know, obviously the human is capable of far more powerful things than an amoeba. But I think it's an important thing for business owners who are seeing the frustrations that come with beginning to scale, maybe some efficiency gains that feel like you're, you know, you feel like you're losing efficiency gains. It's just if you want to play a bigger game, you've got to be willing to scale. You've got to be, be able to scale. And you know, sometimes that means it's not going to look the same as it did when you were a few people sitting around an office and everybody knew, everybody had perfect context about what was going on and so that was, you know, for me personally, that was a difficult thing. It was to just to accept that and embrace it and realize we're going to go do some cool things as a as a complicated human being, and let's get on board with that and stop fighting against it. Got it. So it sounds like you know, as you're continuing to relinquish this control, you know, there has to come, you know, you have to trust people obviously more. But you know, how do you, you know, I, I assume you probably had some issues with you know holding people accountable initially. So what what did you learn from that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of the one of the really cool parts about our culture is we don't actually we try not to separate performance from culture because we actually have a, a you know baked into our culture is performance and the idea of accountability. Um, and Clayt brought a, a real you know Clayt if you go look above his office I'm not sure if it's still there but it was it's I think it actually is um, where performance is measured performance Im improves. And where performance is measured and reported, it, it improves dramatically. And where it's measured and reported publicly, it improves exponentially. And, you know, we have always had very open trends from the top down. So we look at all company metrics. They are, it, it's a very, very open book. And the company knows what our targets were and what we hit and what we didn't hit. And that goes all the way down to every single employee in the company. We have a system of, we call it our big three, where every employee owns three key things. And they're quantifiable so that metrics can be tied to it. And every single quarter, we're evaluated on those. And they can shift within a quarter. But the point is everybody knows exactly what the three things are that they can be doing to drive the most value for the company 
And we've really systematized that and baked it right into the core of, of what Infusionsoft is all about. So, yeah, it, it, and by the way, that is an extremely difficult process to go through. It's, it's, uh, it puts an immense burden on our managers to make sure. If you have a manager of a team where everybody's doing the same thing, it's a little bit easier because you kind of figure it out once and it works for everybody. But we don't really stop there. Every single manager has got to make sure that they and their employees have a clear set of three metrics, their big three that are agreed on, that are driving performance every single day. And that's been huge because, you know, we, we don't have a culture where somebody's breathing down your neck and we're super anal about a lot of stuff. And if I'm out throwing the football on the football field, it, 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 the, three, the big three become the thing that let me, as the person throwing the football, know that I'm, I, I'm okay to be out there doing that because I'm killing my, and I'm crushing my metrics. And the people walking by seeing that, they don't have to be worried as well that, you know, why are they out there doing that? And, you know, there's, so it creates, it creates some, con it actually, the focus on performance and accountability actually is what allows for some of the flexibility in the culture and some of the, um, you know, just the, we let people own stuff and we let them, you know, act accordingly. Cool. And how often do you communicate these these metrics? I mean, you know, with with these things, I imagine there has to be constant like repetition communication, so people it, it kind of reinforces it in their mind. So I guess you know that's that's my question. How often is this communicated? Well, um, we have a, we actually have a software system that we use for communication between employees and their managers. So at a minimum, every manager and employee are sitting down to review the performance for the last quarter on the big three. And to recalibrate, you know, and I would say, I would say on average, probably every quarter, you take maybe one of the big three, and there's either a slight adjustment to it, or it's swapped out for something new. That's kind of just the rate of change. So at a minimum, those, there, you know, the recalibration happens then. But really, that big three, that's that's the, you know, on a weekly basis, that's what every employee is focused on to make sure that they're driving the value. So it's a, it's really an ever-present thing. And if it gets out of whack and it's not clear, it's not clearly driving. The most important thing for the business, then we just recalibrate. You know, mid-quarter recalibration is no problem at all. Okay, cool. Sounds good. And so let's go back to you know you t you talked about deciding to take on capital. Why did you guys eventually decide to take on capital? Yeah, that's a that's a fun story. So we uh, we were pretty against it initially. You know, we bootstrapped, and I think we were in between doing about three and a half million and seven million in revenue and. And, and actually, if, you know, you, now that you understand kind of the dark early days, this was actually a really great time for us. We had finally, everybody, you know, we knew we were hitting payroll every month. Um, there was stability. Life was really dandy, you know. And we had this vision, Clayton, Eric, and I had this vision of building up the company and selling it for a certain amount of money. And we went to this event. We had studied Michael Gerber a lot uh, as our company grew. And... Michael Gerber had two different consultants that he sent out to go find software that he could use for his company and they both came back and they were convinced they had found the right software. One of them had found this, this software called Manage Pro CRM and the other one found this thing called Infusionsoft and they were debating and come to find out we had gone through a name change so they had both found us but they, they were different brand names. Anyway, we were really excited because Michael Gerber had been kind of a, you know, a men we hadn't met him at that point, but he had been a mentor to us through his books. Through E-Myth was the, the book that we had really studied. And anyway, so he, at the time, he was doing this event called In the Dreaming Room. We went to the website. And it was like, it was really odd, actually. It was like white. Everything was white. He's on the homepage in a white suit. There's like clouds and rainbows. And we're like, what is this? This is a little weird. 
but hey, it's a couple of days with Gerber. Let's go. Let's go see what this is like. So we went out there, and he we walked into this event. And it was amazing. He walks out on stage. There's probably seventy people there, sixty people there. Really nicely set up room. Great, you know, in Napa Valley, I think is where we were. And um, he comes out on stage, sits down on the stool, and he says, "All right, in front of you, you have this blank pad of paper, and there's a, there's a bundle of markers." And he says. I want you to start with a blank piece of paper and a beginner's mind, and I want you to articulate your dream. Don't even worry about the business you have today. Don't worry about anything. Anyway, so we get this event, and everybody's kind of looking around like, is this guy serious? Well, he walks off the stage, and we're all sitting there, and finally everybody kind of starts writing. Some people were drawing and writing and whatever. And for two days, he brought people up on stage, and he just beat the crap out of them. You know, I remember the very first guy got up, and he's like, yeah, I'm in the I'm in the lead pipe business, and Gerber's kind of chuckles, and he's like, "Oh, how'd you get in that?" And he said, "Well, I was in Texas. This guy from California called me up. He's like, hey, you ought to you ought to come join me.'" And so I went, and I and he's like, so Gerber starts laughing. He says, "Okay, so the reason that you've been in lead pipe business for the last twelve years is because a guy called you from California and said, "Hey, you ought to come do this." And he's kind of like, "Yeah." And he's laughing this at this guy, and everybody's feeling bad for him. But then he starts to uncover what is what the real meaning behind this guy's life and what he really wants to accomplish. And it was really cool. And so for us, you know, for a lot of people, he was saying, "Hey, kill the business you're in now. Just just reimagine yourself and put yourself in a place where you're out to accomplish something that has a dream that is that is so massive that it will keep you engaged." His argument was. A lot of people failed because their dream, not because their dream is too big, but because it's too small. It's there's nothing, and he wasn't accepting people saying the meaning behind what I'm doing is I want to make a bunch of money and sell a company. So for us, we're like, oh man, what is? We really had a great time of introspection, and and it was in that moment that we recognized the core of what we were out to accomplish was actually about empowering entrepreneurs and taking that experience that we had gone through and we felt like we had a we had a fantastic opportunity to change the course of small business forever and so we you know i remember coming back and and uh clayton and i were going to lunch and i dude i I said dude why are we not just saying that we're going to be like a microsoft in terms of our impact with small business and he's like you know what it's because we're chicken and something happened in that in that moment and that that those few weeks right there where we said all right this is a bigger game we have a bigger responsibility in the world and to do that we're going to need to be capitalized differently so at that point the trajectory changed and we went out and we uh, raised a round of financing with more David Al um, which is where Jeffrey Moore he's on the board there that was an important connection for us and they've been a fantastic partner We've since gone through a couple rounds of financing. Signal Peak Ventures into us, and Goldman Sachs most recently came in. And uh, anyway, so it's just been—it's fantastic. And that you know, that sometimes that process for people is painful. You know, having bringing in investors and giving up control. And I think we've we've been really blessed to have fantastic partners. And uh, you know, we we just. We, we've needed them, and uh, the thing that we're out to accomplish is is really big. So, you know, I'm excited that we have 25,000 small business owners using the software, um, but I just think it's a drop in the bucket. We're, we're just barely getting started, in my opinion. There are, there are millions of business owners that need our help, and, you know, those businesses that are trying to get serious about growing their company, I, I you know, deep in our company's bloodstream is a passion to help those people out.
Got it. Okay. Awesome, man. Um, what's one piece of advice that you'd give to your, your 25-year-old self? Oh, well, I think um, one of the things that happened early on is I started getting addicted to um, this culture of execution and performance like I was talking with you about earlier. And and because when we started, we had to be, you know, we were the operators and we had to, you know, if something was going to get done, we had to do it. And that, that sort of became addictive. And I think, I think if I was to do it over again, um, I'd love to have the hair back. That'd be really cool. <laughs> Look at your hair. I mean, you got like locks of love. Look at that. I'd love to share it with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but I think I would say, dude you need to be relinquishing control more and you need to be thinking about building leaders and stop worrying about being the person that's the hero. There, there's no good in that. It doesn't scale. And, you know, I just, I, I've observed that when a business owner is stuck on being the hero and being at the epicenter of everything in their company, that one of two things will happen. One, they're not going to grow because they are the bottleneck or two, it's just going to suck for them and for their employees. And, you know, too many too many entrepreneurs think that they are everything, and that you know it's, it just doesn't work that way. The, the way companies scale and they grow is you go find amazing people, and create a really high bar, and you give those people ownership and you hold them accountable. And so I, I think I think I would give myself a dose of relinquish more control. Um, you know, I give myself a big lecture about that. Cool. I'd love to hear one of those lectures one day. I could use that. <laughs> um, what's one productivity hack you can share with the audience? Uh, um, I don't know. I don't know that I consider myself a, a productivity master, but I think uh, for me, to be totally honest, buy a, set of those, buy a set of Bose headphones and stick them next to your desk and, uh, you know, just, you gotta, you gotta have a, you gotta have a way of getting into the zone. And what I do, I have a system that I learned at a company called Strategic Coach um, where I have different types of days during the week and during my work week I have focused days and I have buffer days. My buffer days are the days where I get all of the work done, I have meetings with other people, everything that I need to do so that I can have two hardcore focused days. And my focused days, it's all about my top priorities and getting into the zone. And I've found that to be a fantastic system. I know that on Tuesday and Thursday when I come in, I've got you know, I'm dialed in and I can execute and perform. So I think, you know, that may not be the perfect system for everybody, but get a good set of headphones and and carve out time to be in the zone and, and prioritize the most important stuff then. Let your other days be the days that you handle the urgent and the fires and all that stuff. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point there because, um, you know, people, everyone has their own set processes, but it, it, it all depends on kind of the company that you're at and the stage that you're at too. So I think, you know, that, that's the key takeaway for me at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's final question from my side is you know what's one must read book you recommend to the audience? Um, so this, I, I ask I get asked that question a lot. I don't know that I have a great answer, but I have. There, there's a book that I read. It might seem a little bit off the wall, but uh, Michael Gerber actually is one that shared this one with us. It's called Banker to the Poor, and um, Banker to the Poor is the story about. Muhammad Yunus and the way that he created microfinancing. And he tells the story of him being an economics professor walking out on the streets 
and seeing these people dying, and he's asking himself, why am I in here teaching economics if we can't even get the people on our, on our streets to be self-sustaining and so forth? And he really became the father of a really, um, you know, amazing microfinancing revolution. But the reason I like that book, even though I love microfinancing, it's not as much about that. It's about the evolu- the evolution that he went through, the iterative process that he went through. He would he would take his ideas to the banks, and they would laugh him to scorn. And he would turn around and come up with another iteration. And they finally, through however many iterations, came up with this model that just, you know totally blew people's minds. It wasn't even feasible. How, how on earth would you get banks to lend money to destitute women in Bangladesh? You know, Nobody would do that. So, And I just think the process of owning a business is so much like that. You, you have whatever your thing is that people are laughing you to scorn and saying it's not possible, you can iterate past it. If you can keep your head on straight and stay stubborn and work hard, then you'll get past it. You know, It's, it's the... It's the weak-mindedness that comes into us, getting playing the head games and just giving up too soon that causes people to fail. Got it. All right, man. So everyone, you know, <clears throat> Scott Martineau from Infusionsoft, you know, definitely want to have you on the show again sometime soon, but thanks for joining us. Great. Hey, thanks a lot, man. It was fun to be here. Cool. All right. Adios.